guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 189. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we do have a question and answer episode for you today. Thanks to everyone who partook on our most recent Instagram polls over on the Bodybuilding Dietitians. Thank you very much for your questions. So going to get cracking into some of those today, Jack. This first one, it's a little bit of a heavy question, but it's an important one to address. It asks, what should you do if you've reversed poorly out of a show and you know it's not a good idea to go back into a diet again? Yeah, so this certainly is a bit of a difficult situation to be in. And I think it'll be good for us today to uh, give you some options and other competitors some options as to what you can do in the situation you're in now, but also for future competitors, especially since uh, there are going to be many season B competitors listening to this, what they can do to ensure that it doesn't happen to them. Mm. And so I think point number one is often it will be someone's sort of knee jerk response to enter a dieting phase because they feel uncomfortable. And I guess that maybe they're used to dieting. They've just recently come out of a comp prep and they want to slip into those habits when dieting is essentially just going to put you into a cycle of you'll feel hungry again and you'll essentially trigger those habits that have occurred you to get to where you are now which is to have gained weight faster than you'd like so the key is not to diet at least not right now and to put it simply like essentially you want to stick at maintenance and um, depends on your true body composition because I know some people can say, oh, I've gained all this weight back. Then you ask them how much they've gained back and it's been two kilos. So I think it's important to assess that. Um, not making any assumptions about the question asker, of course, but it's important to assess how much you have gained, what your body composition is like, what your relationship with food is like. And if you truly cannot go into a sort of surplus, then I would recommend being at maintenance, trying to bring your maintenance calories up over time because you will be able to continue recovering, especially if you have gained some weight, then time is going to be your biggest friend. Because if you are now a healthy body weight after comp, then again, remaining at a healthy body weight, eating more food over time as metabolic adaptation occurs, then in the future, like in a, in a few months time, maybe you can approach a dieting phase again. Mm, yeah, when you're ready, mentally ready to yeah. do so. Because I think that if this unfortunately has happened to a competitor post-show, it does actually show more than anything that they're just not in a good mental headspace. And I think everyone has the best intentions post-show for this to not happen, but there's no denying that it does happen. Even if a coach has the best intentions to set their client up with a plan, even if a client has the best intentions to follow that plan post-show, sometimes people do find themselves in this circumstance, which it's unfortunate, but you do need to address it. So I think they're just really tackling the fact that it's a huge mindset aspect. And sometimes I think that if this happens to someone, they obviously do not need to fall back into prep and they definitely don't need to fall back into that driven mindset that you develop in a prep. But I think it, there's something to be said for falling back into some of the habits and routines 
that served you really well in prep. And I think some people, when this happens post-show and they feel like they're spinning a little bit out of control and they don't feel like they can control themselves around food, perhaps they just do not have an appetite in the slightest to go to the gym at all. Some people even actually fall into that trap of where they feel a little bit ashamed because they were getting all of this external validation, right, from other people when they were at the gym, commenting on their body composition, and then, post-show, if they no longer look that way, they feel a little bit almost ashamed to even go to the gym anymore, which is so unfortunate. So that doesn't help anything either. But I think something that would really help people is just to get back into a solid routine of all those things that made you feel pretty damn good and productive and driven and accomplished in your prep. So simple things like have a regular bedtime and awake time. Have a regular time each day where you're eating set meals. Have a time where you're going for your walks. Have a time where you're going to the gym. Fall back on those just like big pillar aspects of your plan. And naturally, I think you'll already start to notice that you are starting to feel a lot better rather than just not having any sort of agenda or any sort of routine. That's where people really, really struggle. And if someone does find themselves in the, the position where, yeah, some people do say, I feel really uncomfortable, even though they're only a few kilograms over stage weight. But at the same time, we've seen things happen where it's been, you know, four or five weeks post-show, people have gained 10 or more kilograms post-show, and they are genuinely feeling very uncomfortable. Without intentionally going into a dieting phase, some people might actually find that just falling back into certain habits in terms of their meal timing, training regularly again, going for some walks, getting good night sleeps, being in a better headspace, even just having structured meals again where they have a protein serving at each meal, they're eating fruits and vegetables and grains again, without intentionally trying to restrict themselves their body actually might start to gradually come down in terms of body weight. So that would also have them feeling a little bit more comfortable too. So it, almost dieting unintentionally. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I completely agree with those points. And I'd also make some points for current competitors who are listening as well. And uh, we have talked about the recovery phase a fair amount, but we'll, I think listing some key points is we're roughly, we're still rough a fair bit out from, from nationals, what we're six or eight weeks out, mm -hmm. I think from nationals. And that's ample time to start talking to your coach now. Um, if your coach isn't overly receptive to talking about the recovery phase now, then make sure you reach out to someone else because it's important that you start discussing what that entails, what to expect. And it's really important that you have support during that phase. Mm, undoubtedly. And support from your coach and, and, and potentially from other people as well. So ensure that uh, it's not very helpful if you are kind of hoarding food at the moment to, it's important that you probably stop doing that uh, because once you start hoarding food in your house, you, you sort of set yourself up with the expectation that all of that's gonna be consumed, even if you're not consciously thinking about that. So I would sort of, sure, enjoy Enjoy the day of the show, like afterwards, and enjoy the following day or couple days. But I wouldn't treat it as an all or nothing sort of mentality. And like, okay, I'm going to maybe have this week post show where I relax completely and just eat what I want because that's when a lot of damage is done. Like your body is absolutely primed in that 
period following to just put on body fat essentially. So if you go completely free reign, then you're just going to gain a lot of body weight back Mm -hmm. and none of it's going to be muscle, unfortunately. And also your hunger cues and appetite is completely out of whack as well. Like that's not going to start normalizing for at least a few weeks. Uh, So yeah, you can't, can't expect having dieted for six months to suddenly be done with show and then, okay, everything's back to normal now because for natural bodybuilding and, and enhanced bodybuilding as well, maybe even more so, there is a, a recovery phase afterwards. That's why it's called recovery and it's recovery both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that this is a competitive sport. It's the sport of bodybuilding. It's not a sport for who can withstand themselves from the most highly palatable food for the longest and then crazy overindulge at the end once they cross mm. the finish line. And I think it's a sign for probably competitors more than anything is that if all you can talk about is what you're going to eat post-show, and you're not even actually talking about the show day in itself, maybe that's a sign that you're probably not prepping for the right reasons or your eyes aren't actually on the true prize because food has always been there. Food will always be there, but there's no better way to say it. Just don't set yourself up for failure. So it's important for some people to take responsibility of that for themselves to catch them out. But even coaches too, if you hear your clients talking about how they haven't even registered for the show yet, but they've already made dinner reservations post-show, it's like, hold up, where are our sites? Where are actually priorities right now? Because you can actually kind of spot these sort of red flags. Yeah, I mean, we do understand, of course, that not everyone is competing to be competitive mm. or then they're not, they don't have that athlete mindset necessarily. They're purely doing it for the experience, mm. but it's still important to have a successful post-show period. But they are still preparing for a competition, nonetheless, despite of whatever they want to achieve on that day, they are in comp prep, they're preparing for a competition. They're not preparing for whatever they're going to eat after the competition. Mm. Yeah, I think it really, I'm, yeah, I agree that it's not the right thing to be hyper-focused on what you're eating afterwards, mm. but it's it's easier said than done for us just to, to say that because it is, even myself, like I still get very food-focused towards the end um, and it's our body's physiology to do that. Mm-hmm. So not you are a sort of unique circumstance. So I do, I do empathize. It's not like I'm sitting here and saying, you have to be a complete saint afterwards because mm. you don't. And that's not what we expect for our clients either. There definitely is a middle ground of still executing the recovery phase well, whilst also being flexible and enjoying yourself because by no means do we expect exactly what you've done in comp prep. But what I would say is that, okay, might be two to six weeks after comp prep, there is going to be an important phase where you can truly mess it up if you want to, or you can truly make it go really well and adapt to a larger intake of food and then you're on the other side of it you're past the hardest element of recovery and then you've you've set yourself up for an amazing off season you're eating more food you feel better or you could gain 10 kilos in a week Mm -hmm. yeah and as from a coach's standpoint both you and i like you have to take that responsibility for obviously preparing your athletes and giving them that big heads up on what to expect 
post-show on how they're going to feel, you know, what they can expect from the type of plan that you'd like them to be following and having those discussions even before someone's even in the comp prep itself, but definitely having those sort of in-depth reminder discussions of, Hey, we're actually going to be wrapping this up in about four weeks time. I know we've been at it for about the last 25 weeks, but here's what we can expect to do. But I think it's really important that clients, no matter what happens, that they feel like they can communicate openly and honestly with their coach and they're never going to be judged. Like their coach is simply just there to help them. They're never there to ridicule them or say, oh, you have no discipline or why aren't you adherent or why can't you just follow a plan? If you get that sort of sense from your coach, maybe they're actually not the best coach for you. It really should be a case of like, this is what happened. What's done is done. No judgment. Let's just find out how we can actually respond to this so that you are feeling better and just keep moving forward in some way or another. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, never hesitate to uh, speak up. And that's why I know with, with my clients, I'm like, especially post-show, it's like, if you're struggling at any point, just like, give me a phone call, you know, talk to me. I'm your coach every single day of the week. Like even if we had a check-in 30 minutes ago, and even though it was all upbeat and then in the afternoon, you're like finding yourself in a completely different headspace. Don't wait another seven days to then fill me in on what happened. Just speak up. Mm. Yeah. And I think just to address the other side of the coin, like the other situation that might occur is people like these people are more few and far between, but if you are gaining weight too slowly after comp, mm. especially if you have competed in a leaner category like figure or bodybuilding or fitness, then you do need an element of weight gain afterwards because weight gain and fat gain, yep, fat gain is going to equal recovery. Yeah, yeah. We always quote those numbers of try to gain between five to 10% of your stage weight within the first one to two months post show. And if you are competing in a more highly conditioned category, then you do need to be gaining a larger percentage of your body weight post show. And that's a very, very healthy thing to do. Yep. Yeah, you're going to be feeling a heck of a lot better for it. Are you interested in optimizing your nutrition, training or physique? If so, head on over to our website and explore our coaching services. We have options for everyone, regardless of whether or not you want to compete. Tap the link in the show notes below or head on over to our website, thebodybuildingdietitians.com to inquire now. All right, well, we'll answer this next question. It says, how important is it to keep steps and cardio up during a building phase? And what are the benefits? So I would say it's quite important and for a multitude of reasons. And I think maybe the harder aspect is to quantify like how much is a good amount, but essentially as much as is necessary to maintain some semblance of good cardiovascular fitness. I mean, most people won't have an issue with this, but maintaining good insulin sensitivity as well, having a decent appetite throughout the day, uh, sleeping well. So there, there's a lot of benefits to being active and that act Activity might not always manifest itself in informal cardio, like you might just genuinely be an active person. Maybe you've got kids and you take them places and you rack up steps, or maybe you work FIFO and you are very active on the site. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, like neither of us do formal cardio per se um, in the off season, but we still rack up over you, know, you especially, but we st I get over 10,000 steps a day still. We definitely go on a lot of fishing trips and a lot of dog walks, yeah. <laughs> but that's another thing too, is that looking at 
cardio or looking at steps, especially during a building phase or the improvement season, I think your mindset toward them has to be a little bit different compared to if you're doing it in a prep. Because generally when you're doing it in a prep or in a dieting phase, you're deliberately adding on more cardio to your plan for a means of burning additional energy, being in a larger calorie deficit, trying to elicit fat loss. But then when you're in a building phase or you know just a lifestyle, right? Like you need to kind of change your mindset to say, hey, I'm doing this because I enjoy it and it makes me feel good and it's an aspect of health, not because I'm trying to minimize fat gain. So actually, which headspace are you approaching it from? I think that's really important. But like what you touched on, like having good cardio respiratory fitness, it's really important. It's actually the number one predictor of all cause mortality is your cardiovascular and your cardio respiratory fitness. And if you wanted to use medical terms to define it, having generally good cardio means that your blood pressure is in a good position. So you're under or at 80 over 120. So 80 diastole, 120 systolic. And then it also means having a normal sinus rhythm. So your resting heart rate is around 60 beats per minute, or for most athletes, it's quite a bit less. It's usually like at night, somewhere in the forties, and then during the day, somewhere in the fifties. So you have a relatively low resting heart rate or just normal sinus rhythm. And another thing is too, is just bearing in mind what your exercising heart rate is and also what your recovering heart rate is during exercise, because having good cardiorespiratory fitness actually will benefit you in being a better bodybuilder because overall you can actually perform more total work and you can recover from more work because some people if they're really pushing the limits with their body weight and they're not very cardiovascularly fit then what they might find is actually during a set what taps out first is their heart like they just feel absolutely exhausted and gassed and muscularly they could have kept going but because they just feel just so tanked they then have to end the set and then they have to have very long rest breaks between their sets and they might even be you know under the assumption that man one two sets that's enough like i just i can't even perform another one so if you are very cardiovascularly unfit it's actually going to limit the total amount of work that you can do and when i'm talking about that i'm talking about productive work of course you don't need to be doing junk volume but it is going to allow you to perform more total work over time which will elicit more muscle gain long term mm. and i think some of the less cardiovascular related benefits um, that i've noticed myself especially when i get heavier granted not everyone will get to this point um, maybe maybe particularly females um, or, or bodybuilders or physique athletes who aren't pushing body weight up as much. But it, like the, the days that I went for a walk in the afternoon versus I didn't, like it was such a stark contrast in terms of my appetite. Um, I just felt pretty gross for lack of a better word. I just felt super lethargic and heavy and like the food was still just sitting in my stomach. Mm. Um, whereas if I do go for a walk, I feel much, much better. Also, yeah, that would, that would be the main point. And yeah. Especially if you are quite sedentary and the only exercise you're doing is gym training, then I think you may not be tired that tired upon going to bed and it might influence your sleep-wake cycle as well. Mm, yeah, man. There's just something to be said for that 
going for walks makes you feel really darn good. And don't just see it as, hey, I'm getting my steps in. It's like, no, I'm actually looking after my mental health and I'm getting outside, I'm getting some fresh air, clearing my head, I'm getting some sunlight on my skin, some natural light into my eyes. Walks should make you feel really good. Walks, it always makes me feel strange when I have to almost like beg people, like, can you please just go for a walk? <laughs> because like, I wish it was something that everyone recognized that like it just makes you feel so happy uh man if i had a goal i think you're on the extreme though like i wouldn't say walking makes me super happy like it makes me feel better but it wouldn't i don't really correspond an emotion with well i think that if someone is down in the dumps or they are struggling i'm not saying you're down in the dumps but i mean if someone just finds themselves in a little bit of a mental funk like i would challenge them i'd say I want you for the next month, every single day to go outside for 20 to 30 minutes with nothing but just your shoes or hell, you could go bare feet. I didn't say that. I don't think it would solve depression, but I definitely think that it would help them feel better. Just going outside for a walk and clearing your head. I honestly do think that's one of the best natural medications, (laughs) but walking, it will make you feel better. But yeah, it does feel weird if you're just eating all day and then you are sitting down between your meals and not moving at all absolutely right digestion just feels awful even after one meal we've just done that though (laughs) yeah but after this i'll be walking around the house editing the podcast on this lovely saturday afternoon but it even feels i'm just uncomfortable after one meal i know that you and i were just in that habit of we eat something then we go off and do something else but like you know when you're out to dinner and like you have quite an indulgent dinner but then everyone talks for like an extra hour and a half after dinner and you're just sitting there after that like i always just feel just quite bloated i'm almost itching i'm like i want to get up and just like move a little bit go for a little bit of a walk or like i just i don't like having a big meal and then just sitting on my butt for like an extended period of time it doesn't feel very nice so if you're in the position where that doesn't have to be the case take advantage of that and move. And yeah, if, even if you go for a walk and like you said, it increases your appetite, but then someone's like, well, if you go for a walk, isn't that burning calories? I think about it in your case where it's like, okay, you might go for a half an hour walk with the dogs. You burn somewhere in the realm of 150 to 200 calories, maybe. Mm, it's like two bites of my meal. <laughs> yeah. Then you have the appetite to knock down an 800 calorie meal after that. So it's a net gain. Yeah. <laughs> so go for a walk and uh, have a good time. Enjoy it. (laughs) Is there a question you would like us to answer on the podcast? If so, make sure to be following us on Instagram at The Bodybuilding Dietitians, where we release question polls on a regular basis. As well, keep a lookout for our weekly informative posts on all things bodybuilding and nutrition, which are great references to save. And if you're a coach, share with your clients too. Okay, so this next one, Jack, it asks, what are your honest reflections on the lengths you go to for comp prep in the weeks leading up to comp? And I think both you and I interpret this question a little bit differently. Mm. Yeah, I would be, not that we have a bet on it or anything, <laughs> but if the question asker does listen to the podcast, maybe you could confirm what you actually mean by this because mm-hmm. we've interpreted it two different ways. But the way I interpret this is just the the overall lifestyle of bodybuilding, how it's quite restrictive and like the lengths that people go to leading up to the show. Uh, Maybe the question asker is also interpreting it in the sense that um, maybe bodybuilders get more and more strict the closer they get to stage, which 
in my eyes, it's it's fairly similar throughout the whole like roughly twenty five weeks of comp prep. Mm. Maybe towards the end, they they feel a little bit worse and they get have to get more restrictive. But like, what are my thoughts on how restrictive it is essentially? Well, the way that I interpret it is that what are you, what's your opinion on the lengths people go to in the final weeks leading up to their competition and. I think some people, at least from an outside view, might observe that in the case of, okay, someone's in a comp prep, they're undertaking a six-month stint of dieting. For the first four months, yeah, they're doing the job, but it's like it hits this certain X number of weeks out, and that's when they really go to level 10 on everything. And they are almost in this mindset of, okay, I'm eight weeks out, now it really counts. And that's when they just ramp up everything. I think that's what they're asking. What's your opinion on that? When like it sounds the like we're kind of saying the same thing though. Uh, you're talking about bodybuilding as a whole. Like, do you think that everything that we go through as bodybuilders, even in a 25 week prep, is it worth it? And then I'm looking at like, oh, in those final few weeks when people really go pedal to the metal, is that really worth it? No, I'm kind of saying that too. So I guess we're on the same page, oh. but I guess I'm I'm framing the the question in more of a negative light, like, oh, is it worth it? Like all that stuff that you do just to win a plastic trophy. Mm. So I'm sort of framing it in a more negative light, which maybe the question asker isn't being negative. Maybe mm. I'm just negative. <laughs> uh, but I don't have too much of an answer for it in framing it in that light. Like, yes, bodybuilding is restrictive and consumes people's lives, uh, some people more than others. But ultimately, if they enjoy it and they're not harming themselves or someone else, then it's um, it's fine, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, if yeah. it makes you happy and you love like, it. Yeah, I think, so. for example, I see someone skydiving. Actually, even worse, those people who go underground and they cave dive. So like they... <laughs> like free diving? No, they not in water. Like they, they um, go into caves and then they're like pressed up close against two pieces of rock, like 100 meters underground and they're trying to navigate areas and they don't know if they're going to get stuck and then die there like i look at that i'm like why the hell are you doing that no thanks <laughs> no, thank claustrophobia you. through the roof yeah or should i say through the cave <laughs> and i'm sure people look at bodybuilding uh, like there are people in my family my brothers for example they they never want to do bodybuilding mm-hmm. um, they probably still question why i do it it just goes to show that people like doing different things yeah and um, different things be bring other people happiness yeah and i don't think that you should ever you know judge someone for what actually brings them joy in life right when i do apologize if this isn't what the question asker meant uh but there there are definitely people who do think this about bodybuilders Mm. no doubt yeah but to us it's worth it but i think that if so if an observer was saying okay do you think it's really worth it those final few weeks of a comp prep when a competitor is really ramping everything up is that worth it, the extra extent that they're going to things. And I'd say, one, you don't want there to be like a night and day difference between one, what your lifestyle looks like outside of comp prep and then what your lifestyle looks like in a comp prep. Like really, there shouldn't be that much of a change. We really advocate for living the bodybuilding lifestyle. And as you go from the improvement season into your pre-prep into a comp prep, it's a fairly smooth transition, really. The biggest change that's really happening is just the total amount of food that you're eating. But then gradually, as the prep goes on, things should gradually ramp up just based on that competitor's rate of loss in terms of like, we're all just out here trying to create an energy deficit and trying to get as lean and conditioned as possible for the stage, right? But naturally across a six month time span, 
things are going to ramp up, but it shouldn't just be like, all right, I've hit eight weeks out. Now I'm going to chuck in cardio on the daily. Now I'm going to increase my steps from 10,000 to 20,000 every day. Now I'm going to have the amount of food that I'm eating. Like it should be gradual, but I guess to someone who's on the outside, they might actually see someone who's, you know, their plan is modified and they're like, is that really worth it? Is it really worth doing all that cardio every single day? Is it really worth the daily posing practice? You know, all the training sessions and everything like that. I think a question I'd ask is what's the alternative? If the alternative is not going that extra mile, then yeah, it kind of separates different maybe caliber athletes from one another. But as you said, ideally you don't want to be changing everything as if like, Oh, the first 10 weeks was a warm up. Now these final few weeks, I'm getting serious. Like mm. by that point, if that was your attitude, then I don't think that should be your attitude. Mm. But naturally, I think as you get toward those final few weeks, things will start to have to be modified mm. just a little bit. Well, I'd even say that the final few weeks, like let's, uh, don't, I won't take anyone as example, but the final few weeks, if anything, maybe should be the easiest mm. because you know you're within kind of that stone's throw of of the stage you've got a lot of external motivation um unless you're a little bit behind in terms of conditioning then you might have to just keep digging 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 but if you've timed your prep well then you shouldn't be necessarily going harder and harder Mm -hmm. again unless you're playing catch up which a lot of people probably are but even then you and i both know that sometimes your routine can be juggled a little bit just based on even if you're ticking all the boxes just simply based on how you're feeling so for example let's say toward the beginning of comp prep you know you were sleeping like a baby everything was just fine and you had decent sleep hygiene but you weren't putting a huge emphasis on it but then as you become more chronically dieted and your sleep starts to suffer then you have to go that extra mile to be like, okay, I'm getting off my phone 90 minutes before bed. I'm going to be doing some journaling. I'm going to be meditating. I'm going to be reading before night. I'm going to take all these sleep supplements, like really like doing all these fine tuned things to make sure, okay, I'm going to really try to guarantee a good night's sleep. Or some people toward the very end of prep, you know, like they start to have just like a regular digestion. It might be due to chronic exposure of just less food and less calories how does this coincide with the lengths that people go to because they have to start modifying things at the very end and they start having to go to extra lengths. so what i'm trying to say there is let's say someone's experiencing quite a bit of constipation or foods that they've been exposed to for a long time they're starting to notice like i just feel like i'm not digesting oats and zucchinis very well anymore and Mm, then you start having to make these (laughs) you start having to make these fine-tune adjustments at the end of prep like it wasn't necessarily anticipated but it's just it is what it is so people have to start becoming very meticulous with okay like i find that i just digest quite plain foods a lot better so things like that or Mm. you know because your cognitions can sometimes just be a little bit fried you start to notice that hey these are my golden hours of the day so i need to actually start to restructure my day in terms of if it's in your control these are the times of day I want to work. These are the times of day that I want to train. This is the time of day that I want to have my personal downtime. So you might have to shift your routine around a little bit. And perhaps to an outsider, they're like, wow, this person's six to eight weeks out and now they're changing all of these things, right? And sometimes you do have to go that extra mile if it means that overall the prep is going to be as ideal and as smooth sailing as possible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. (laughs) But once again, you do what you got to do. So is it worth it? Yeah, if it's going to get you the result at the end of the day. 
yeah yeah I think uh, it, it is ultimately worth it again depending on who you are and what your aspirations are in bodybuilding mm-hmm. like for me is it worth it yeah for sure for you is it worth it for hell sure. yeah yeah so I think that's probably the uh, last question for today well technically the second last because I have uh, a question for you Tierra and it says what is one thing that you learned this past week oh wow a listener <laughs> asked this question <laughs> yeah funnily enough <laughs> All right, well, something that I learned this week, or at least was reminded of, is that the good people of Instagram, they are good, and they are helpful, because I went for a walk the other day. Where we live, it's on a beach, and it's quite tidal, so every six hours, the tide goes out, and then the tide comes in, and when it's low tide, you can actually walk on these, like, mud flats for quite a few kilometers, and... There's a lot of like migrating shorebirds that come to where we live and they migrate from different parts of the world, very neat. Uh, But when I was out for a walk the other day, I saw on the beach these two big black birds and they had red beaks and they looked like big black swans with red beaks. And I took some photos of them and I uploaded them to my Instagram. And I said, (laughs) I spotted these two really groovy looking shorebirds on the beach. They look like black swans with red beaks. If anyone knows the species, please let me know. Gosh, the good people of Instagram. I posted this at night, woke up the next morning, and I must have had somewhere around like 12 people in my DMs telling me they're they're called black swans. (laughs) So there you go. Zoologists got it right. The, uh, The big birds that look like white swans, but they are indeed black, they are called black swans. So I had people sending me their actual scientific name. You know, like when you see the name of a plant, it's like, this is a fern. And then it does in the little commas, it's like, Gunastafernus. <laughs> that's actually hilarious if that's actually the scientific name. Or what is it called? The species name? I don't know. You'd have to ask my brother. Oh, yeah. The ecologist. <laughs> but yes, indeed, they are called black swans. I even had people sending me photos of black swans that they'd seen. So that was pretty Your dad neat. sent you a video of a swan surfing? <laughs> my dad did email me a YouTube video of swan surfing on the Gold Coast. That was pretty cool. But, you know, it's not the first time it's happened. I remember that the first time I, I the very first fish I caught out on the beach, you told me it was a flathead <laughs> and I held up this picture of a fish and I said caught a flathead uh, but it was Maybe undersized I <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it was undersized so I put him back to sea I had so many people messaging me being like hey congrats on catching the fish but that's not a flathead that's actually a flounder and turns out the flounders there is no legal size and you can catch like up to 30 of them per day so uh the next day we went back out and i actually caught maybe caught the same guy but i caught another flounder and i kept him and i ate him and that's one of my favorite type of fish but yeah good people of instagram they love to uh let you know what's right and what's wrong Hmm. do you think everyone on instagram is good (laughs) no just to follow you maybe yeah, just just the good guys follow me. Yeah, mm. I love my followers. They're all just good good people. <laughs> but no, I don't think everyone on the internet is good. Yeah. Some of them are bad. <laughs> Some of them are mean, but I stay away from those ones. <laughs> Jack, what's something that you learned this week? Yeah, so I actually learned that glycine, which is an amino acid, 
I believe it's it's a non-essential amino acid. Anyway, I learned that glycine, if you supplement with it, like roughly five grams, it's actually quite beneficial for, or potentially beneficial for sleep onset and sleep quality, like uh, reducing the number of uh, waking episodes you have during the night. So I'm keen to trial that myself um, because it's not quite as well researched as something like melatonin, but it does look promising, especially for Comprep particularly. So I don't think I'll uh, start it now just because my sleep is really solid at the moment, but definitely there's potential in the future to, um, I wonder if people heard Boston cause like he's the only thing that actually makes my sleep worse if he wakes me up in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hopefully with some glycine, I sleep through his barking. Yeah, man, I just, we always come back to it, but I think if we have PTSD from one thing last prep, it's just the atrocious sleep. You can put up with hunger, you can put up with anxiety provoking training sessions, but the just 2.30 a.m. wake ups, that is just the roughest thing and you will go to any extent. That's why even though you won't even be entering into prep until next April, I hope that your sleep isn't compromised the whole time, right? But like realistically- I mean, It's not gonna be compromised at all. I'm not even gonna no, acknowledge that. I'm that's the thing. You're already preempting it in August of 2023 when I, it's probably not until August of 2024 when you're still a few months out from a show, that's when sleep's probably gonna start feeling pretty rough. But no, I know I, you're like, you're like, man, when it gets to that point, gonna have the glycine. No, I'm saying that it's not going to get to that point though. I'm quite confident that it won't. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They're outside. It's outside our control. Like it's not. It is within our control. There are things that we can do to make it better. Like glycine. Like glycine, and I'm going. I'm going to do a lot of things. Like maybe we can uh, discuss this on a separate episode. Yes. Yeah. Plan of attack. But I'm really curious to see how I go with my sleep, given that prep starts for me in like nine days. Hmm. Me too. Because I, I don't think you're quite as uh, malleable as me. So. I'm wondering if you will change things to better optimize your sleep. Mm, yeah, I literally doing puzzles at night has just been an absolute game changer for me. So I'm just going to keep staying up later and I'll just keep doing more puzzles. It just mm. totally lets my brain just go. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so you might do like two hours of puzzles a night. No, but I have a really, really good routine right now. And I'm sleeping for like eight and a half hours every single night, like a baby. So, but it's, it's really just the case of just letting my brain turn off. Cause I basically finish work, have some dinner, take a shower, catch up on a few things on social media. But then I do a puzzle for like an hour and then I literally roll out a yoga mat in the dark. And then I do some stretching and some breathing crawl into bed, put on my earbuds, put on my eye mask. I'm out. See you in the morning. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Thanks very much for listening to this episode this week, guys. <laughs> if you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag TBD, and we will catch you in the next one.